Well, good morning, everyone. Um, we're going to continue our time of worship this morning and looking in God's Word. Now, your Bible might naturally fall open to 2 Samuel um, because we've been there for a while, but we're going to take a quick break um, from 2 Samuel this week and next week. We're going to look this week at the death of Christ and to talk about what the death of Christ means for us. Next week being Easter, we'll be talking about the resurrection of Christ and what the resurrection um, means for us. We'll be in the book of Hebrews, actually, this morning. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to read through the whole chapter, but we're only going to focus on a few of the verses in Hebrews chapter 2. So Hebrews is towards the end of your Bible. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. Um, go back a few pages. Um, we'll find the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, um, verses um, 1 through 18 is where we'll be at this morning. This morning, I just want to share with us about in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of things just kind of feeling out of control, how do we find ourselves centered in the midst of everything feeling out of control? How do we find ourselves of, with any kind of hope, with any kind of joy at all in the midst of what feels overwhelming, in the, in the midst of what feels dark, in the midst of all of those things? How do we find ourselves there? Now, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. I want to read that to us, and then we'll kind of jump in on what we're going to be talking about. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. God's Word says this. Therefore, now real quick, stop with that first word. Therefore, go back to chapter 1. Just kind of the whole chapter 1 is basically saying Jesus is awesome. That's chapter 1 of Hebrews. Jesus is awesome and better. Superior, awesome, better. Therefore, because Jesus is awesome, better, superior, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It was been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet." Now, putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons in glory— should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For, we who for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people." 
For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to kind of focus on a few verses. I'm going to focus namely on verses 8 and 9, and then verses 14 to 18. Namely on verses 8 to 9, and verses 14 through 18. I've been kind of overwhelmed this week, and I think many of us might share the same sentiment this week. It's been a dark week again in our nation. Again, we see another tragedy. Again, we see another school shooting. Again, we see riots in the streets. Again, we see politicians failing us. Again, we see marriages crumbling. Again, we see banks crumbling and jobs crumbling again and again. And it feels overwhelming and dark and crushing. It feels like things are getting worse and worse and worse, and there's no hope whatsoever on the horizon. There's no help on the horizon. It feels like at times, and a week like this week feels like, haven't we had enough of this? Is it enough of the death and destruction and division that we're feeling? Is it enough of all of these things that we're going through? Is it enough that there's wars continuing in the world all around us. Isn't it enough? Isn't there any hope? Is there any way out of this? And this passage of Scripture in Hebrews, what I love about this is the author of Hebrews is lifting up Jesus and making a clear case for the superiority of Jesus, that Jesus has made all things right through his life and through his death. But I love that there's just a quick pause in the middle of this chapter where the author of Hebrews kind of brings us to reality that says, listen, all things are put in subjection to him. He is reigning. He is crowned with glory. But he says in verse 8 there that all things were there, but it's not quite there yet. We don't quite yet see everything in subjection to him. And I love that the author of Hebrews takes that kind of reality check in the middle of lifting up Jesus, in the middle of honoring who Jesus is, kind of takes a gut check and says, but yet when we look around, it doesn't seem like everything is the way it's supposed to be just yet. And I love at the end of verse 8, he says, listen, all these things are happening and not, things are, are not yet in subjection to him. But verse 9, the beginning of verse 9, those few first words of verse 9, but we see him. In the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the difficulty, we see him. What we desperately need when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're feeling crushed, is we need something. We need a lifesaver. We need this, this, this thing tossed to us. We need a light. We need something that drags us and pulls us forward and helps us to know that this is not all that there is. There's a way out of this. As I've said before, you're probably getting tired of me talking about it, but too bad. Um, my, wife, my family and I lived in Turkey for a time. We've been back many, many times before. And there's this place in Istanbul, Turkey, that's called the Covered Bazaar. It's a world-famous place. It's this massive, underground, covered market that is full of literally thousands of small little booths selling everything you can possibly imagine, filled with tens of thousands of people at a time that is quite literally a maze. You walk into this place, and if you are not careful, within a few steps, you are already lost. And in that place like this, we have my family invited there many, many times. And when we go in and we take groups, I always walk in and I always try to point out a very clear sign. There is a store that sells gold that's called this. Do not lose sight of this store. 
If you lose sight of this store and all of these catacombs and all of these hallways and all of these stores, you will get lost immediately and you will have to go out of a door that you have no idea where you're at in the city. Do not lose sight of this. And it's very overwhelming if you're in the middle of all of these things and you lose sight of that store. In the middle of tens of thousands of people, it gets nerve-wracking very quickly. Fear rises up in you very quickly as there's noises and sounds and people pulling on you very quickly. But when you can see the store, when you can see that one thing you know, I don't know where I'm at right now, I don't know where I'm going, but I can see where I'm heading. And for us this week, I think for me especially, I needed to know that there's light outside of the darkness. That there is a hope outside of the difficulties that we're feeling. As you see in the summary as we go through our notes, that at present, it may feel like the darkness is overwhelming. At present, it may feel like the brokenness is too great. At present, it may feel like it's all spinning out of control. At present, we may not see everything God is doing, but we see Jesus and we see the death that he died for everyone. And reflecting on Jesus' death brings meaning and perspective and focus while we wait for all things to be made right. In summary, the author of Hebrews is saying not everything is the way it's supposed to be just yet, but we see Jesus. And in the death of Jesus, we have confidence that everything will be made right. Everything that is needed to be accomplished has been accomplished in the death of Jesus. We see that we're kind of stuck in the already, but not yet. We're stuck in the Jesus has completed all things, but it's not yet worked itself out. We're stuck in, this, in the, the space between, aren't we? We're stuck, it feels like, in between verses 8 and 9. The promise is incomplete, yet somehow it's already complete. We're in that space that requires eyes of faith for us. We don't yet see it all completed. The author of Hebrews is directing our attention. He's directing our vision and our hope and our faith above our circumstances, above what we can see. He's acknowledging the the reality of our incompleteness and pointing us toward the completeness. He's pointing us towards Jesus and his death on the cross as an anchor for us in the swirling sea of anxiety and fear and overwhelming um, uh, anxiety in this world. But I want us to focus on kind of two things, and I'll keep coming back to them over and over again. In verse 8, we see, but we see him. But we see him. I want that to kind of be, if you will, a mantra for you. It's something you say over and over again in your heart, in the middle of your difficulties, in the middle of your pain, to come back to this truth, this foundational truth of Jesus. But we see him. This phrase in the phrase that he tasted death for everyone. That by the grace of God, we, t- we tasted grace for, or tasted death for everyone. So see, I want to share four things with you this morning. I want to jump in right in with number one. We want to see that Jesus tasted death for everyone. And look at that word, everyone, for a second. Point one this morning. In the death of Jesus, we see God's love on display. In the death of Jesus, we see God's love on display. Read with me again, uh, verses 10 through 14. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. And jump down to verse 16 with me. It says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. In the midst of our fear and the death of Jesus, what we see is God's love on display. And in this first point, I want to kind of to, to think on and reflect on that when no one else understands, Jesus took on flesh. This is kind of my sub point, if you will, with point one. When no one else understands, remember the reality. See Jesus as one who took on flesh. We see in this passage that Jesus is called our brother multiple times in this. That Jesus became like us to identify with us. He becomes like us. He walks through everything that we've walked through. He's become exactly what we needed in order to bring us to God. And only God can provide what we actually need or what is owed. And only flesh and blood can make that complete. This is the joy that we have in Jesus. This is in the midst of the the darkness of no one gets me, of no one understands of no one can feel the pain I'm feeling. No one can, can walk the, the, the road that I've walked. No one can quite grasp the difficulty of the things that I'm going through. This is unique to me. And because it feels so unique to me, it feels overwhelming and crushing. But remember, Jesus took on flesh. Not just to be at a distance from us. Not just to be able to say he can kind of understand. But that so that everything we walk through, Jesus can say with clarity and with truth, I understand. There are things that my wife has shared with me, my kids have shared with me, that you have shared with me, and I've said in a a very limited way, I understand. I get it. But in reality, I do not understand. I don't get it. I'm not walking the same walk that you're walking. I'm not thinking like you're thinking or feeling like you're thinking. There's a, a distance. There's an incompleteness to us understanding one another, but not in Jesus. Jesus truly understands. You know those times in your life where people get you, right? As a pastor, there are things that I walk through and there's experiences that I have that only other pastors really get. And there's no more joy in my life than to share an experience or a feeling or something about being a pastor with another pastor and seeing the light bulb go off in their eyes to say, ah, you get it. You understand exactly what I'm saying, my joy in that, the frustration in that, the the difficulty in that. You understand in a way that nobody else can possibly understand. There's conversations that Joe and I have with one another of being in ministry and being pastor for years and years and years that we can kind of give each other a look and say, yeah, I get it. I understand that's hard or that's funny or that's amusing or whatever it is in that. And there's nothing more frustrating than sharing your heart with someone who doesn't get it who doesn't understand it. My kids are very old and tall now, but I remember when they were young and and unable to fully communicate. You might have little ones who don't have their words all together just yet. And I think I've seen them. I remember in my kids' eyes, there are times when they were babbling something at me, were clearly angry about something, clearly wanted something, were lacking something, but couldn't quite communicate to me what it is that they wanted. And the frustration in them grew and grew and grew the more I said, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know what you're asking of me in this moment. I can see that growing in them. And for us, there's times like that. You might be in that time right now in life 
where you're trying desperately to share your heart and your feelings and have anybody to say, I get it. I understand. I know what you're walking through. And no one gets it. And no one understands. But my encouragement, my challenge to you this morning is to see him. To see Jesus who took on flesh, who shares flesh and blood with us who is a brother to us, who identifies with us, who walks with us, who understands us. And God's love is on display in the death of Jesus. That love is is only truly shown when it it is shown to us, when it is demonstrated to us. And Jesus alone can do that for us. Jesus alone can identify with us. Jesus alone can take on the sacrifice to take on the penalty that we owe. Angels could not do it. They're too high above us, too lofty for us. Animals were not sufficient enough. They're too much below us. They're not going to be able to identify with us. It has to be flesh and blood. It has to be humanity, and it has to be Jesus. Perfectly God, perfectly man, to identify with every struggle that we're walking through. God loves us in such a clear way as to send his son to die for us. We see in book of Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The God humbled himself to become like us. God took on flesh to understand us, to walk with us, to demonstrate the love that he has for us. Let's be honest, the love of God is meaningless if there is no action behind it. If there is no demonstration of it, God telling us he loves us is meaningless. In the same way, I tell my wife or my kids that I love them, but don't demonstrate it at all in any actions. My words are meaningless. But God loves us in such a way that he sent his one and only son to die for us, to identify with us, to walk in our steps so that he might identify and be like us and we might know what it's like to be loved. When you feel like no one understands, Jesus took on flesh. When you feel like your world is crumbling around you, when you feel like it's too much and no one gets it, Jesus gets it. When the reality is that Jesus has come and tasted death for everyone, whoever you are this morning, Jesus understands you, he sees you, and he has died for you. We see in the death of Jesus, we see God's love on display. Not only do we see God's love on display as we go back to that phrase, that we see that Jesus tasted death for everyone. Let's focus on that word death for a second. Point two, in the death of Jesus, we see God's power on display. In the death of Jesus, we see God's power on display. Look at me, look with me at verses 14 to 15. It says that through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. At the first point, we saw that when no one understands us, Jesus does. He took on flesh. The second point, when we feel like no one is able to help us, 
Jesus destroys every power coming against us. When we feel like there's no one who can step in, there's no one who can rescue, no one who can help you in the situation that you found yourself in, Jesus steps in and destroys and delivers you from everything. We see in this passage of Scripture, we see in these two verses that Jesus rendered the devil powerless. He rendered the devil powerless by taking all of the power of death. This verse reminds us that that we're living in slavery— that fear drives us. Apart from Christ, apart from knowing God, the fear of death drives us. The fear of our own mortality, the fear of sin crushing us and destroying us drives us. But Jesus destroyed that power at the cross. The greatest power in this world, apart from God himself, is the power of death, is the power of the evil one. But Jesus destroys this power once and for all at the cross, renders it powerless. All of the fear of death, all of the effects of it, all of the destruction of it, And Satan uses this tool to to keep us enslaved and ashamed and accused and powerless. But Jesus, in his death, renders all of that powerless. Jesus destroys and delivers. He destroys the power of the evil one, the the one who felt like he had reign over us and was wreaking havoc in the world today. And we see that in the world today. The events of this past week are demonic and evil in nature. There's no other way about it. Whatever event has happened this week, the wars and the shootings and the divisiveness and the riots and all of those things is demonic and satanic and evil in nature. But Jesus is powerful enough to overcome it. He has rendered it powerless that those things have no ultimate power over us. That fear has no ultimate power over us. As those who are walking in Christ, fear is not part of who we are. It is boldness and it is courage because we have confidence that Jesus has died for us. Not only does the scripture say here that Jesus delivers through his death on the cross or destroys by his death on the cross, but he delivers us. It's not simply that he destroys death. He walks with us and delivers us. And for some of us this morning as we came into this, there's a, a heaviness in us that we can't seem to shake. There'll be a sadness or a sorrow, or a guilt, that you feel it creeping in. You feel a fog in your life of, of, an, of an evil or a difficulty or whatever it is that you feel this weight on you that you just can't seem to shake. You might believe in your heart that, yes, I believe that the Bible says God is, is powerful, that Jesus has done all of these things, yet I'm still feeling these things. I'm still feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'm still feeling the the guilt and the shame and the pain. I'm still feeling those things. But in reality, the scripture tells us that those things have no real power over you. That Jesus can and will deliver you from all of those things. That in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the fog, Jesus can deliver you from those things because he has destroyed the ultimate enemy. He has destroyed the final enemy in in, in death. Our greatest enemy is Satan and death and the sin that accompanies it is the weapon that he used to destroy us. The greatest fear, the greatest danger in the world has been rendered powerless through the death of Jesus. 
Because of what he has accomplished for you, no evil in the world can ever overcome you. No difficulty can ever come that will crush you. No feeling will overcome you that will crush you. In reality, the light has been turned on. We'd be able to see the reality, the truth of what's actually happening. We see in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For some of us, we're walking through some things very, very difficult that we need to be reminded of this truth of God and to see by faith what Jesus has done for us and He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He has destroyed the power of the evil one on the cross. That nothing that comes against you can have victory over you because of what Christ has done. We see in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In the cross, we see the power of God on display. In the death of of Jesus, the power of God is on display. The most powerful thing in this world is death, and death died on the cross. Death was destroyed. The evil one and his power was rendered powerless on the cross. And by the grace of God, death is defeated. By the grace of God, we are delivered from the power and the dominion of evil in our lives. It's rendered powerless over us. The reign of terror in our lives is over because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Now again, I don't say for a second that that's easy. I don't say for a second that you just kind of say a thing and you snap a finger and all of it goes away. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. But what I'm saying for us is like the author of Hebrews, that we can say this is true. I may not see it in its fullest form yet, but I see Jesus. I see what he accomplished for me. And by faith, I believe that it's true. By faith, I believe that it's mine. And only do we see the love of Christ on display on the cross and the power of Christ in display on the cross by overcoming the devil and all that he has to deliver us from evil. Number three, in the death of Jesus, we see God's justice on display. His justice on display. Look at me with me in verse 17. It says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And with this, when we feel like the world is broken beyond repair, Jesus makes it right. When we feel like there is no hope for things to be put back together again, for things to be reconciled again, for things to be redeemed again, when we feel like there's no hope of things being made right, we look to Jesus's death on the cross. And we have a big word in verse 17. Again, not a word that we use all the time um, in our everyday life. Um, The word propitiation. It's a big Bible word that we don't use very often. Basically, the word propitiation means that we're setting aside God's wrath through a gift or through an offering of some kind. God is angry at sin. God is angry because of our unrighteousness and our unholiness. There's a consequence for that. But an offering or a gift has been given to set aside God's wrath. What is that gift? What is that offering? It is Jesus. It is his death on the cross. 
He accomplishes it. He is the gift. He is the offering. He is the propitiation. He is the one who diverts God's wrath, not away to some random thing, but diverts God's wrath from us to himself. All of the anger against sin, all of the justice that is is owed to us because of our rebellion, all of it is taken by Jesus on the cross. Every last drop. Jesus is making all things right. Everything that is needed to be made right, Jesus does. God's love and his justice go hand in hand. You see, our rebellion, our sin, it comes at a cost. We owe something because of our rebellion. We owe something for making ourselves little gods. We owe something for knowing clearly that God exists and denying his very existence. We owe something to our creator for that. They come in expense of God's holiness and unrighteousness and care or righteousness and carry a penalty with them. A payment is required for our sinful actions, and propitiation is that payment. But we're very clear this morning, it's not us making the payment. We don't give the offering. We don't give the gift. It is not us. What God requires, God provides. And Jesus willingly takes the wrath of God for us. Jesus willingly satisfies the justice of God for us. Everything that was needed to be made right between our creator and the creation, Jesus does. Through his death, we see Jesus making all things right. Jesus is willingly making this payment. Again, as we look at the world around us, it feels far too broken, does it not? It feels impossible for the evil that is going around the world, for the brokenness that is going around in the world, for the the active rebellion against God that is going in the world today, for anything to make that right, for anything to redeem that. And we've seen it over and over and over again. We've attempted it, have we not? New leaders will fix this, right? New laws will fix this, right? New programs will fix this, right? We go through list after list of things that will make it right, and none of it works. And it just feels like it gets worse and worse, and piles on top of piles getting worse and worse all the time. But it is Jesus alone who can reconcile this. It is Jesus alone that can bring man and God together again. It is Jesus alone and his death on the cross that can take the penalty that is due for the evil that we have committed. We see in Colossians verses 1, 19 to 21, it says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Every bit of evil, every bit of things that have alienated us, the hostility in our minds, the the evil deeds that we have committed, all of it has been made right by Jesus. All of it. What does this mean for us practically? It means that for us this morning who feel like the cost is too high, that the damage is too great, that redemption is too far gone. What the author of Hebrews wants us to see is to see Jesus and in his death and to see that Jesus' death is enough. Your sin is not too great for Jesus' death. Your rebellion is not too great for the death of Jesus. Your walking away from Jesus is not too far for the death 
of Jesus. Whatever you're carrying this morning, whatever guilt or shame or sin you're carrying this morning, whatever lie has been told to you that it's too big, it's too far gone, set it aside by faith and look to Jesus. His death on the cross is enough for all of us, for anyone who turns in repentance and faith. It is enough to bring you back to God. When the world seems out of control, Jesus dies for us. Jesus has taken all of it in your place as a gift for you. For you, not with you. This is not in tandem. This is not I work hard, Jesus works hard, and together our hard work makes everything right. No, it is you rebel, Jesus obeys, and everything is made right through his death and through his resurrection. Jesus does it for us. What we are incapable of doing, Jesus does. What the world is incapable of doing, Jesus does. Every broken thing can be redeemed through the death of Jesus. It is enough. God is completely and forever satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. No further sacrifice is needed. No further gift is needed. Jesus' death on the cross is enough. But by the grace of God, you deserve the wrath of God. By the grace of God, I deserve the wrath of God. But by the grace of God, Jesus died for us. Jesus took on death for everyone. He tasted death for everyone. And in the death of Jesus, we see his justice on display. Finally, this morning, number four, in the death of Jesus, we see God's faithfulness on display. In the death of Jesus, we see God's faithfulness on display. Look with me in verse 18. It says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For those of you who are feeling this morning that no one actually cares about what you're walking through, Jesus cares. For those of you this morning that think, yeah, some people may identify or they may understand or they may have power to help or whatever it is, but no one actually cares what I'm walking through, Jesus cares. And Jesus cares enough not to simply die on the cross, be raised from the dead, and then step back and say, figure it out. Life is hard. Life is difficult. I've done my part. You do your part. I'll see you when we're done. Jesus cares enough for us to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, and to say, in every step of the way from here on out, I will be with you. Every temptation that you face, I will be with you. Every discouragement that you face, I will be with you. Every time you want to give up, I will be with you. When the darkness feels too much, I will be with you. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus being like us is one thing, and actively wanting us to help us is a whole other thing. Jesus didn't simply come in an earthly flesh to identify with us. He came to walk with us, to actually help us. The death of Jesus, his resurrection, is not a mere one-time transaction. Jesus did a thing, we accept that thing, we move on with our life. It is an ongoing presence of our life through everything that we walk through. Jesus has tasted the entire human experience. Every suffering, every temptation, all of it. So that he might be able to demonstrate kindness to you when you're walking through whatever it is that you're walking through this morning. 
God shows his faithfulness to us in the life and in the death of Christ that he does not give up on us. The cross of Christ is as meaningful in the difficulty you're walking through in this moment as it was when you saw its beauty when you gave your life to Christ however many years ago. It is as meaningful and as powerful as it is in that one moment. The salvation that we have in Jesus in the death of Christ takes us all the way home. He leads us all the way home. Step by step leads us all the way home. One of the things that I I hate when I get super, super lost is when someone gives me directions and the directions make me feel more confused and lost than I was walking into it. There are times that I just want someone to grab my hand and say, come this way. There are times, again, when we lived in Turkey, we were lost, often lost, and we would ask for directions in Turkey, and the answer was always, use metre. It was always 100 meters. Whatever we were going, wherever we wanted to go, the answer was always 100 meters. The answer was never 100 meters. That was the answer they always gave to us. And I needed in those moments, not directions, not go this way and that way, and for that person to stand back and watch as I leave and maybe laugh at me because they knew it wasn't usmetre, it was 400 kilometers the other way, and to be able to stand back and hope that I find my way. What I needed in that moment is someone to grab my hand and say, it is this way, come with me. And in every turn and every moment that you feel like you're in the wrong place, when you're tempted to go the wrong direction, I will be there to pull you back and to say, no, home is this way. Where you're heading is this way. And this is what we see in the death of Jesus. Not just a gift to us, not just a one-time transaction, but a commitment to walk through us in everything that we're walking through. Hebrews goes on to tell us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author of Hebrews is telling us Jesus is superior, not just for one-time confession of faith, but for every temptation you walk through in life. Every difficulty that comes down your path, every moment where you stop and see Jesus is, is over all of it, I don't see it yet, Jesus, I need your help to help me to see. We see in the words of Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3, that God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. How can I believe that by faith? How and when everything feels that God is far away from me, what do I do in those moments? I look to the cross. I look to the death of Jesus, and I'm reminded of all that he has for me. We see in the life of Jesus all that he has for us in the middle of our darkness, in the middle of our pain, though it all seems to be unraveling around us, though it all seems to be incomplete and broken beyond repair. My encouragement, my challenge to you this morning is Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see him. But we see Jesus who died the death that we deserved but we see Jesus who died like me as a human. So we see in Jesus the satisfaction of every wrong thing that I've ever done in the death of Jesus. We see in Jesus a promise not just to die for us and to leave us alone, but to die for us and walk with us through all things. How did Jesus do this himself? How did Jesus walk through all of the things that he walked through? Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. 
It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. How did Jesus continue to walk through all of that? For the joy set before him, he endured all things. How do we, in the midst of the darkness and the pain, when we're surrounded by all the hard, how do we continue on? How do we keep pressing forward? How do we see? We look to Jesus, who endured all things for us. We look to the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to the one who died on the cross for us. We look not just at Easter time. We don't think about and reflect on and remember the death of Christ just around March and April. We think about those things moment by moment. The death of Christ is meaningful to us in every breath that we take. It demonstrates to us the depth of God's love for us. His power over the biggest, darkest things in your life. His ability to make right what seems unbelievably unbroken. His ability to walk with us through everything that we've walked through. Jesus' death on the cross is meaningful to us in every step we take. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for this reminder to us. Thank you for what you have accomplished for us, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for enduring all things for us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying the death that I deserved. Thank you, Jesus, for making right what I made wrong. Thank you, Jesus, for understanding me when no one else understands me, for walking with me when everyone else seems to have abandoned me. Jesus, thank you for being powerful enough that the biggest darkest most powerful thing of evil and death in this world was nothing compared to you that you rendered as powerless over us through your death jesus we thank you that this is not the whole story that jesus you didn't simply die for us but you were raised from the dead on the third day thank you for the power of the cross and thank you for the power of the empty tomb that we will celebrate next week and celebrate every moment of our day as well but Jesus, we come to you thanking you for what you've accomplished for us. May we rest in the death that you have died for us. When it feels like everything you promised is, is not yet in place yet, is, is missing something, when it feels like you've forgotten to, to finish what you started, help us to look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the captain, the founder of our faith. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.